Crucial conversation back again with the episode that you guys have been waiting for. Everybody's been waiting. People for have it. been calling us up, asking us about Today it. Today at church, like, somebody hey, said, "When y'all dropping that? When are you guys gonna have Brother Jeff Arnold on the podcast?" Today to, is right now the day. Right now, here oh, it is. So we're finally. gonna get we're gonna get through these ads, and and we're gonna go ahead and we're make gonna let painless. you guys. Let's make it painless. Hey, you know I gotta say this about Brother Jeff Arnold. Everybody talks about how, man, that's one preacher that preaches with no filter. Let me tell you something. He preaches with a filter. This podcast, he's unfiltered. He lets he says it just and the way. Be- before it we is. recorded this podcast, we went to a restaurant with him. That's when he's unfiltered. Trust me, that was unfiltered. <laughs> and it, off off air, that was awesome, dude. This is like, man, you're meeting a living legend, and there's so many nuggets to take away. But hey, speaking of nuggets, hold on, hold on. Let's if you're tired of chicken famous. nuggets, if you're tired of chicken nuggets, you need to go to Lazari Italian Oven and get something real good. Get you a cannoli to eat as a dessert. Oh, I love Start it. your dinner off with a little appetizer, some toasted ravioli, that Caesar salad. Yes, yes. Get get a crab meat stuffed tenderloin oh tonight. Oh my gosh, why are we the, talking about with this? With a right side now? of pasta with marsala sauce and some some mixed vegetables. Lazari's is located here in Jonesboro, and you can call ahead at 870 I was talking about let's making it painless. How painless was it when Nat Anderson put you in your new heating system? It's, you guys hear this? Well, I hear it. Well, I see it. What is this? This is rebate paperwork on the, the heating unit that he put in. $600 off. $600. That just, just gave you $600? They're cutting me a $600 check. I can spend it on whatever So they're paying you to do business They're, they're with paying that. me. They're paying me. Oh. I can spend it on anything I want. My tax returns are coming back. I can add it to that, and I can go buy myself something nice. In fact, I can buy something at Fletcher Dodge if I wanted to. I'll tell you what. Fletcher Dodge got it going on. Whether you want a new vehicle, a used vehicle, you want a leased vehicle, it doesn't matter if it's SUV, truck, Brian, those new Jeep Wranglers are awesome. They've got those. If you're tired of not being able to go to work whenever that snow's going on, hey, still call in. Just go play in that Jeep. Call Andrew Sanders today. He's going to take care of you. Like I said, he's got Dodge. He's got Jeep. He's got Chrysler. He's got Ram. He has literally got it all. 870-277-2011. But here's the thing. You have to mention Brian and I if you want that crucial conversation discount. I hate being overcharged. Salesmen are crooks. That's why I like to go to Andrew because he's going to shoot me straight from the very get-go. Um, have you guys been on YouTube ever? Like ever, you guys know anything about YouTube? If you know anything about YouTube, you got to know about the, one of the best pages that's on YouTube, and that is Forward Talk. John Carroll has got a bunch of videos out where he's had a lot of crucial conversations on there. In fact, he had one crucial conversation with the Crucial Conversation podcast. It's on there. He's got some reviews on there, and he's putting out a lot more material. This is the prime time to get on and he's YouTube. He's a cool guy. He's such a cool dude. It's such a you know, you, you can crack jokes with him. You think he's all serious and stuff, but, man, he's, he's just a good person to talk to. He's easy to joke with. He's a fun person to be around. And He took us to his version of Lazari's, too. Dude, yes, he did. That was a good place. That was a great place. And he's like a walk-in Bible. In, anybody that knows him knows that he's a walk-in Bible. Matter of fact, comes, go back and listen to his episode. Go and check out his episode on our page. <laughs> go on YouTube and watch us with him. Watch any of his videos. You're going to be inspired. It's going to give you something to chew on. Like if you went to Lazaro's, they'd give you something to chew on. This is meat for your soul, though. That's right. And speaking of meat for your soul, DriftedDrumCompany.com. Promo code crucial. crucial. Hey, there's a good book on that page, isn't it? Yeah, tell me about that book. The book is No Mess, No Message. And here, we're even going to give you a discount. All you got to do is use the promo code CRUCIAL. Here's, At checkout. What's this book about, Brian? It's about overcoming your struggle. It's about finding the message 
behind through the your mess. mess. That's right. Through your mess. We're having a hard time talking right now because we're so excited about getting it's to this episode. A, this is such a great episode. <laughs> I mean, in this this book, uh, April Jones tells a story about her son. Um, he, he, whenever he was young, was diagnosed with cancer. And, man, you guys just got to check this book out. It's going to inspire you. Our last sponsor of the week before we get to the living legend is listwithliveoak.com. You guys know the spiel. You go on this website, you pick out your house, you call Dustin, tell him your your family of the conversation. He's going to get you hooked up. Guys, don't live in a house you don't want to be in. Seriously, get this thing taken care of from the very get-go. Don't put it off no more. The best time to buy was yesterday. The second best time is today. Go to listwithliveoak.com. Ask for Dustin. Let's get to Bishop. it. Bishop. Let's get to it. Bishop. Let's get to it. Jeff Arnold. Thanks for your patience. This is the true crucial conversation. I've been thrown out of whorehouses. I've been thrown out of hotels. I've been thrown out of bus stations. I've been thrown out of bars. This is the first time in my life I've been thrown out of a church. And it was the goodness of God. That pastor turned around and said, Would you please escort this couple? out of my sanctuary they are disturbing my service so they asked us to go out i was fine if my wife hadn't been with me i probably would have jumped through the plate glass window and went out and got drunk he took us in the back room they started talking to us and giving us all these scriptures i didn't know nothing i knew playboy magazine and bars that's all i knew after the whole thing happened she came to me she said brother arnold said i need to I need to tell you something. When you stood in front of me and my husband and said, God is going to show himself strong tonight. The minute you said that to me, the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, pray for him right now. Death is on him. Hey guys, this is Brian. And I'm Tony. And you're listening to the Crucial Conversation Podcast. It is my honor and privilege, as it is with Tony, to have with us one of the greatest preachers that has yes. ever been, uh, pr- probably since the times of the apostles themselves in the, in the uh, New Testament writers, uh, a man that I greatly esteem since a little kid. I grew up listening to your sermon CDs and v- any video that I could find online and and developed a love for preaching based on what I've heard you preach before, Brother Arnold. And so it is, again, our honor to have you uh, sit down with us for a little while this evening and talk to us about... Um, some of the things that God has laid on your heart, uh, things that you've experienced, and uh, just getting an opportunity um, to just have uh, your voice in a, in, a no, in a new place. Yes. Um, this last week, we were talking with a pastor uh, who talked about um, the, how he wished the UPC would biography different men of God that have come through. Tony, we want to talk about it for just a second. Yes, absolutely. So we uh, were talking with this gentleman, and he said something he wishes the United Pentecostal Church would do is um, write down the heritage and the stories of these preachers that we have in our movement. Mm. Because whenever our Jeff Arnold is gone, what story will we have to be told? When our Anthony Mangans and Paul Mooney's are all gone, so we, 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 don't, we don't have anything. And... 
we, Brian and I, want to thank you for sitting down with us first and foremost <laughs> to get a little bit of backstory here and kind of hear some awesome, interesting stories. But like Brian just said, you're one of the pioneer voices in our movement, and we're super thrilled to have you. As Brian just said, I can relate. Uh, I remember as a little boy growing up, four, five, six years old, uh, I would always go lay down with my dad and because I, I had to go to sleep with my dad. I didn't want to go lay in my own bed. And mom would stay up, and <clears throat> I'm getting a little emotional here because it's my raising here. But I, I remember going to lay down with my dad, and we always listened to a preaching tape of Jeff Arnold while we were going to sleep. And um, not that your sermons put us to sleep. I knew that's what you were going to say. But I'm telling you, um, you you truly are a, a pioneer. And Brian and I count it as an honor and privilege to have you oh, with thank us. Thank you. Thank you. That's very good. Well, let's jump right in, Brian. Um, I want to hear your story about how you got into the church. My wife said there's two things she wants to hear from you, how you got into the church, and then we'll get to the next question later. Okay. Well, I uh, married my wife. I was in the Air Force during 62 to 66. The last year was Vietnam. And I met my wife in Topeka, Kansas. I married my wife, and we moved to Florida. I went to college in Miami to be a court stenographer. Uh, we, I decided to take off the one semester and give myself a break because I was going to college six hours a day. I was working eight to ten hours a night. It was rough. Well, my wife and I were not really getting along very well. My wife was uh, sober as a judge. I was a drinker. I was a dancer. I was a honky-tonker. She was none of that. She Were you a good dancer? Excellent dancer. <laughs> excellent. I mean, I could move and groove, baby. I could throw down. And my wife didn't even know how to dance. And uh, But because I was a drunk, I was drinking all the time, she was infuriated, unknowing to me, I found out years later, it's because her dad became an alcoholic. Her mother died when she was two. They moved to Arizona because she had tuberculosis. She died. Her dad could not handle, he was like 27 years old, and he had four children and no wife. He worked for the railroad. So he gave the kids up to an orphanage, and the orphanage took the kids. And my wife was raised from one orphanage to another orphanage. Okay, she comes out. She goes, she gets adopted by an aunt. Well, fortunately for her, the aunt is a saint in Brother Fred Kinsey's church in Toledo, Ohio. So my daughter is, I mean, my wife is raised in that church as a little girl. She gets baptized in Jesus' name, but she never received the Holy Ghost. Well, when she was like 14 or 15, she left, and she just lived on her own and just worked. And she was working in a concession business that I used to do part-time in the Air Force, and that's how I met her. Okay, well, when we come down and we're getting ready uh, to get divorced, we were going to Miami Divorce Court. Well, the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night. It was, it was so amazing because we didn't own a Bible. We didn't pray. We didn't talk about God. We were just sitters. And... Something just shoved me during the night, and I woke up, and I thought maybe I heard a, a window crack or a door. I didn't know what was going on. I got up, looked around, nothing happened. Went back the next night, same time, boom, something just shoved me or pushed me, freaked me out. I thought maybe I was getting the DTs because I was drinking all the time. So I walked all around, lit up a cigarette, drank a can of beer, sat there at 2.30 in the morning trying to figure out what happened. Third time, it pushed me. I got up. I'm freaked out. I'm standing in the dark. My wife's sound asleep. And 
I hear this voice in the back of my head, in my head, not outside, in my head. You're almost out of time. It's time to get right with God. Freak me out. So I go over and I wake my wife up and said, Patty, if <laughs> it's so funny. If if the Lord would call me to be a missionary to China, would you go with me? And my wife wakes up and says, Missionary, China? Jeffrey, stop drinking and get back to bed. <laughs> and I say to her, Baby, I'm as sober as a judge on Sunday. I think God's talking to me. And Patty says, Who's talking to you? She said, God's talking to me. We need to go to church. Well, later she told me, she said, well, I was willing to try church to save our marriage. Well, I worked with a Baptist guy who went to Anita Bryant's Baptist Church, Northwest 54th Street in Miami. We went down to that service. It was packed. It was packed. We were way in the back. She was sitting over here. I was sitting over here. Well, they did their story and what I used to call, they did their standard Billy Graham junk, you know, just before the guy got died. He accepted the Lord as Savior, and, and he died and went to heaven. Well, I had my head bowed. Well, I'm listening to that story, and in my mind, I'm saying, there's a bunch of crap. <laughs> said, I've heard this since I was a kid. Just accept the Lord, and you're saved. And I'm going, I don't believe this junk. Well, when I open up my eyes, my wife comes to me, and she's bawling, and she's crying. She said, Jeffrey, let's go to the altar. You have to understand something. You need to take a bus to get to the altar. It's way, way down there. And there's thousands of people in that building. I said, all the way down there? So I get up and I went with her. Well, this is funny. We're the only two people in that whole big church that knelt down to pray. All the other people that came forward, seven, eight, nine people, they just lined up in front of the preacher. And we're up there praying. We're two kids, 21 years old. And... And he's saying, well, thank God for Mr. and Mrs. Smith accepted the Lord as their Savior. Could I get an amen? Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Jones just came here from uh, Illinois, and they're transferred. We accept them in fellowship. Well, we're praying. This little guy walks over and says, sir, if you just accept the Lord as your Savior and sign his card, you'll be saved. So I signed a card. Well, they go over to Patty on the other side, and she's crying and bawling. And uh, he says, just accept this card, and you'll be saved. Well, it's like she threw a hand grenade in a small bathroom because all of a sudden she said, saved? Well, I haven't even got the Holy Ghost yet. I haven't started talking in tongues. Well, when she said that, this guy said, tongues? Holy Ghost? Wait a minute. And he takes off and goes in the back. Well, they bring back three or four elders to kind of deal with this witch or whatever she was. This is all happening in front of these thousands of people in this church. And so they're trying to counsel with her and talk to her. Now, you understand something. I've been thrown out of whorehouses. I've been thrown out of hotels. I've been thrown out of bus stations. I've been thrown out of bars. This is the first time in my life I've ever been thrown out of a church. And it was a goodness of God. That pastor turned around and said, Would you please escort this couple out of my sanctuary? They are disturbing my service. So they asked us to go out. I was vilified. If my wife hadn't been with me, I probably would have jumped through the plate glass window and went out and got drunk. He took us in a back room. They started talking to us and giving us all these scriptures. I didn't know nothing. I knew Playboy magazine and bars. That's all I knew. Well, all of a sudden, my wife, who is very introverted, very quiet, really shy, in five minutes, she turned into a strong, exhaustive concordance. Hmm. She started quoting scripture. 
boom, boom, boom. I mean, just like, you got to, where'd this chick come from? I've been married to her for a year. She ain't ever said nothing about God since we know her. She knew all these scriptures, Acts 2.38, John 3.35. I mean, it's just like, where's all this? Well, she jumps off and they, she says to them, now, Jeffrey, these guys are lying to you. Well, I feel bad. We're in the back of a church. You don't call anybody a liar. She said, when I was a little girl, I went to a Pentecostal church, and I got baptized in Jesus' name. And when people received the Holy Ghost, they spoke in tongues supernaturally. She says, they're lying to you. You don't get saved just by saying, I believe in Jesus. Well, they start convincing us, no, that she's mistaken. That only happened on the day of Pentecost. That doesn't happen today. Well, we're in this big to-do, and I'm saying, oh, let's get out of here. So I said, look, I'm very sorry for all the problems. Thank you very much. And we went outside. Well, we're out in the middle of the hot Florida sun, and we're outside debating. My wife says, now, Jeffrey, you can go back here if you want to. I am not coming back to this church. I said, why? He said, first place, these people believe in three gods. I don't believe in three gods. I believe in one God. I said, my God, the Indians only believe in one God. What kind of crazy junk is that? So she says, you take me to a apostolic Pentecostal Jesus named church. And I said, uh, uh, who's a what's that kind of church? I've been to Baptist. I've been to Presbyterian. I went to the Catholic church. I've been to Foursquare. He said, you take me to church to baptize in Jesus' name, believes in the Holy Ghost. I said, what in the world is the Holy Ghost? She says, the Spirit of Jesus comes and lives. I have no idea what she's talking about. Well, we go home, look in the yellow pages. We can't find an apostolic church, which the church in Toledo was, first apostolic church. She says, here's a United Pentecostal church. I think United Pentecostal is the same as apostolic. Let's go there. So I walk in there. A handful of people down by a railroad track, banging on tambourines, throwing oil on people's heads, people screaming and yelling. I'm thinking, man, these people are rejects from Barnum and Bailey Circus, man. I got to get out of here. <laughs> well, I stay there for two or three weeks. This is so cool. We didn't go back for a week or two. Sister Swinford, who was the pastor, sends us a note. We still have the card. It was a picture of five little puppy dogs in a basket, and it said, Counted noses last week. Guess who came up missing? And it so touched my heart. I told Patty, I said, man, those are nice people. They're a little weird, but they're nice people. Let's go back. So we went back to service. Well, you got to understand something. The power and presence of God has awakened to me three nights in a row. I have no doubt what it is, but I can feel it. Well, while Sister Swinford is talking, the Spirit of the Lord starts moving into place. And I feel this almost like a chocolate milkshake from the top of my head comes down over me, through my belly, into my feet, and back again. My hands are tingling and shaking. See, I work for the power company, and we used to go in substations. And when you went into substations, you have to have a hard hat, and you had to be back or something because... There was an energy field that came out of the regulators and out of the transformers, made the hair on your arm stand up. That's what I'm feeling, sitting there. And I turned to Sister Arnold, and I'm kind of like with my fingers. I said, Patty, what is this? She said, what? I said, this. Don't you feel this? Well, she didn't feel nothing. I said, what is this? So she says, you're feeling the Holy Ghost. I said, well, what's the Holy Ghost? She said, it's the Spirit of Jesus that comes to live in you. And I turned to her and I said, we're staying here. 
And she looked at me because she thought later, she told me, I thought you're going to leave because of all the carrying on going on. I said, we're staying here. She said, why? I said, because this is the same stuff that woke me up those three nights in a row. So I was introduced to Pentecost, not through a Bible study, but through the power and presence of God, although I didn't understand it. Well, we got in the church. She cleaned the bathrooms. I cut the lawn. I fixed the bus. I would pick up kids. I was the best slave they ever had, jack of all trades, master of none. And I just started going to the Pentecostal church. And then eventually we both got baptized. We both received the Holy Ghost. And the rest is history. Wow. That is such an awesome story uh, that that you were able to feel that presence of God and that God has always had that active role in every aspect of your life to where you from before you even got in church you were hearing God's voice uh, calling unto you right um, obviously throughout your ministry hearing the voice of God has been important uh, because you have obviously you've been a, a tremendous advocate especially of late I'm not sure how far back it's been uh, for the gifts of the spirit. Uh, supernatural ministry. Right. And w- whenever we were at the restaurant earlier today, you were talking about the supernatural. Um, as far as going into the future um, with with people that are in the church now, what can we do to be sensitive enough to hear the voice of God and to be used in the miraculous? Okay. Uh, this is kind of like my bag. I am very, very concerned. This, the UPC is my home. I am not going anywhere. This wonderful group of people was here when I was a drunk and a bum and a liar, and God used these people to turn my life around, discipline me, teach me. But what I'm concerned about as I move across the movement, I'm seeing more and more churches that either don't want a move of God or they don't know how to get into a move of God or they don't want the gifts of the Spirit. And so I am looking and saying, you know, I thank God for Bible studies. I thank God for personal evangelism. But there's nothing as powerful as a visitation or a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. So what I said, I think I said that today or last night, you cannot possess what you are unwilling to pursue. And you will never pursue until you are persuaded it's available. And we have had wonderful people in our movement. I mean, my good friend who's gone now, T.W. Barnes, was to me a great prophet of God. And and we've had Brother Drost, our missionary, greatly used. My good friend uh, Lee Stone King has been greatly used. And Morton Bustard's been used of the Lord. But we've only got a handful. And they're not mentoring anybody that I know of. Nobody mentored me. So I am like, I tell the Lord all the time when I'm praying, Lord, I'm... I'm like a dumb guy. I'm groping in the dark. Like like Paul said in Acts 17, we grope and feel after him if happily we might find him. And so what I that's happened to me the last few years, the Lord has been really dealing with me about the miraculous and the supernatural. And I do a, a complete seminar now. I have it all written out. I go to churches and we just go page after page. And I prove to them, what the kingdom of God is, and what the kingdom of heaven is, which some of what I said this morning. And I said, if we do not have the supernatural, we don't have nothing. We're just loud Baptists. 
We're just noisy Methodists. That's all we are. But if you you got to have something that you can't explain. When I came up in that little church with a lady pastor down by a railroad track, we had tongues and interpretation all the time. We had interventions of the Holy Ghost where we'd sing and pray, and all of a sudden the presence of God would come. I feel it right now. Would come down, and people would wail. They'd, they'd groan. Sometimes they'd fall over the pew, and they'd fall on the ground, and we would have they don't do it anymore, but we have things called a laughing blessing. I've had that numbers of times and just become almost hysterical. And just, of course, you talk to some people, that's crazy, that's nuts. And, and what's happened, I'm looking at, is we're wanting to become more unoffensive towards sinners who have baptized brains who are spiritually dead. We want these people who are entrepreneurs or doctors or lawyers or got big green and bucks and stuff that we want. And I'm not against that. But I'm telling you, from what I know, if people are honest and sincere, they will never be run off from a service because of the supernatural. They never will be run off by that. They may not understand it, just like when I first came in, I didn't understand it. But the supernatural, to me, is... God's divine drawing power. He's pulling. He's, he said nobody can come to the, to the Lord except the Spirit draw. Well, the Spirit ain't drawing just because you taught a Bible study. The Spirit is drawing because the Spirit is touching Spirit with Spirit to draw you. And I am just, I guess, I don't know, I'm, I'm an old buzzard now or something, and I, I don't know how much time I got left. But I'm concerned because I'm looking at the movement as a whole. A lot of places want less church. They want to cancel churches. We don't want this. We don't want that. We don't want tongues of the turf. Why don't you want it? Other people say, well, we want it, but it doesn't ever happen. Let me tell you why it doesn't happen. You don't reach for it. You don't have to reach for Bible doctrine. We preach that all the time. You don't have to reach for Acts 2.30, the new birth. We preach that all the time. But the supernatural and the gifts of the Spirit, they are beyond us. When you, <coughs> excuse me, when you read, I think it's Proverbs 25 and 2, he said, as, as silver and gold, as treasures are buried below the surface, so we have to reach for treasures that are not on the surface. They're below the surface. You have to dive for pearls. You have to dig for gold. You have to dig for silver. That's the way it And what's happened to me, I think, that a lot of our people who are wonderful, godly people, they just don't want or they don't really make room for divine interruptions, divine interventions. Why not? Is I, so this has become our church rather than his church. It's almost like, well, I stand at the door and knock, Revelation 3, 17, 20. What is he doing knocking on his door of his church? He's on the outside. What's he doing on the outside? He wants to be inside, but it's kind of like, well, you know, we're, we're, we're not for wildfire. I'm not for wildfire, but I'm not for wet blankets either. I'm waiting for a move of God. I said, I just, Lord, I want the Holy Ghost. And it's like, I want to feel the presence of God. So why is it you think that um, our preachers these days kind of tend to shy away from? The unexplainable. Yeah. That's what, I preached a sermon years ago because of the times. It was a great, great word. Unexplainable but undeniable. That's what you got. Remember, the story was when the, the angel came and let the apostles out of prison. And then they come and they find the prison doors locked 
but there ain't no prisoners. Yeah. And those loonies turned around and said, we came to the prison, and there wasn't anybody in there, but the apostles are over here in the main square, and they're teaching. Unexplainable, but undeniable. You can't explain it, but, but it's like when I came in, the moving and the operation of the Holy Ghost took precedence over everything. I'm not talking wild as a buck and banging into the walls. I'm just talking about the power and the presence of God, the voice of the Spirit. Remember this, in my opinion. When you have a message in tongues, that is the voice, okay, the voice. You have praise and worship, that's the voice of the bride. When you have tongues and interpretation, that's the voice of the bridegroom. And the Lord is talking to us. And I don't understand. I mean, I've been, I could name 20 churches in the last year and a half that I've went to. They haven't had a message in tongues in five years. Hmm. What's the matter with you jerks? What are you doing? Well, we've learned to run this thing by ourselves. We have songs. We have Bible studies. We've we got to be dignified now. Exactly. We have to, we have, I am very concerned. You asked my opinion, okay? I am very concerned that, that maybe unconsciously or unknowingly in our movement, we are more concerned with being accepted in this world, especially the religious world, than we are standing out by ourselves. There was a time when our fathers and mothers in this thing, they knew about eggs and tomatoes. They knew about hatred. You bunch of holy rollers, you bunch of ding-a-lings. But now, you're such a nice church. You just Well, you know what? Sinners ought to... Sinners, I want sinners to come. But when the Holy Ghost starts moving, you watch. They'll start crying. They'll start trembling. They may not do that with my preaching, but they will do it when the Holy Ghost moves on them, and it convinces them there's something spiritual. See, I, what I'm concerned is the church is supposed to be spiritual, not just doctrinal. Let me, let me give you one of my favorite statements. If you have doctrine preached without a demonstration to, to confirm the word, you produce frustration. Mm. If you have doctrine coupled with demonstration, you produce transformation. Amen. There was a guy, a famous guy, his name was Goethe, G-O-E-T-H-E. He made a great statement. He said, doctrine without action and responding is disease. So for us to turn around and say, I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in signs and wonders and miracles. Well, when are you going to have them? Well, whenever the Lord gets ready. That is stupid. That's like Bartimaeus sitting blind on the roadside saying, well, the Lord knows I'm here, and the Lord knows I'm blind, and so he's coming right by here, so I'll just expect him to fix me. Guess what, Bartimaeus? If you don't open your ignorant mouth, he's going to walk right by you. Yeah. Okay, he knows where we all are, but it's like, I don't know why our movement, and I'm just giving my opinion, I could be wrong, I don't think I am, why our movement is shying away from the supernatural. Why? I don't get it. Well, you, you're the perfect person to talk about this. Uh, the other story I, my wife wanted you to talk about was you died. Oh yeah, <laughs> you're you're a dead man walking, literally. Oh, yeah. I know I'm a resurrected can, man. <laughs> can you can you tell us that yeah, story? Yeah, you know this is funny. I've always tried to be a witness for the Lord. I've always tried to testify about God. But when I went and preached that 
meeting at uh, for Brother Carney at uh, Impact. Okay. Well, I had been on a fast. Okay, now it wasn't a long fast. It was only a day's fast. That's that's kid stuff. Days fast. Well, I was fasting. Okay. I get ready to preach. Now, before I get ready to preach, a sweet brother, a friend of mine from Lake Superior. Okay, his name is Brother Klepper. He used to be the kingpin of uh, Tupelo Children's Mansion. He's a friend of mine. I preached for him years ago. My phone rings when I'm in the Jackson Airport. And if you, you know Brother Klepper, he had a very deep voice. This is Brother Klepper. I said, hey, Brother Klepper. He said, Brother Arnold, I have a word for you. I went, okay. Now, I take that serious. Our movement doesn't. They think it's funny. I take it serious. Okay, fine. I said, I was cutting the lawn, Brother Arnold, and the Holy Ghost spoke to me. See, a lot of our people don't believe that. I do. And he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, stop what you're doing and go in and pray for my servant, Jeff Arnold, because he's going to the Impact Conference tonight, and I'm going to use him in a mighty way. And so I'm sitting on the, in the airport in the heat of Mississippi talking to him. And he said, I went in to pray for you and asked God to bless you and to help you. And he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, I'm going to use him in a way he's never been used before. And when he finishes... He's going to be a different man. Okay, now in my stupidity, I'm thinking, because I've been stretching and reaching for the supernatural, I'm finally going to break through the barrier, and I'm going to have the gifts of the Spirit flowing through me, and blind eyes are going to open, and deaf ears are going to stop, and cripples are going to walk. Finally, thank you, Jesus. Well, while I'm preaching, I get dizzy. I get really dizzy. I'm off the platform, and I am preaching about the miraculous. And I keep making this statement. God is going to throw his weight around tonight. God is going to use his power to show you tonight that he's got all power in heaven and earth. And I'm walking out in the auditorium. Unbeknownst to me, I found out later, sweet couple about the second and third row, I stood right in front of them. They're missionaries from Mexico. After the whole thing happened, she came to me. She said, Brother Arnold, God, I feel the Holy Ghost. I said, I need, to, I need to tell you something. When you stood in front of me and my husband and said, God is going to show himself strong tonight, the minute you said that to me, the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, pray for him right now. Death is on him. Death is on him right now. So I went back to to the altar, and I was dizzy. So I sat down on the platform trying to preach. This guy comes up to me, asked me to pray for him, big heavyset fella. I prayed for him. The Lord opened his ear. Boom. Prayed for another one. The Lord opened the little girl's ear. I'm just sitting there. Well, I'm so dizzy. My good friend Mick, Nick Mahaney, I said, would you get me a cracker or something? I, I'm salivering. I'm drooling all over myself. I don't know what's going on with me. The whole room's going around. So he gave me a cracker. When he gave me the cracker, apparently I passed out. And I handed the microphone to my brother, David, my good brother, David Smith. I said, Doc, I can't go any further. I, 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 I just can't. And I gave it to him. And he said, he took it. Well, I fell over backwards. I went out. Okay. I didn't know what happened. I didn't see John the Baptist. I didn't see Elijah in a chariot. I, 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 I was out. Totally. I didn't go through this long tunnel where they see these lights and the Mormon tabernacle choir singing and all that junk. I didn't. Nothing happened to me. Fine. Well, I'm out. All of a sudden, 
I wake up. When I wake up, my shoes are gone. My socks are gone. And I'm thinking, what? And the first thing I said, Brother Tommy Craft, my dear sweet friend who's standing in front of me, said, you're all right, Jeff. You're all right, Jeff. And I'm looking, trying to figure out, I don't know where I am. And all these people are screaming and yelling and carrying on. And I said, who's the idiot that stole my shoes? Where's my shoes? Where's my socks? So I found out later the nurses tried to find a pulse, and they can find a pulse on the bottom of your feet when they can't find it on your neck. And when I was home, I had all these bloody scrapes on my neck because they were trying to get my pulse. See, I didn't know what happened. I was just out. All of a sudden, I woke up just as clear as a bell. And, and Brother Chris Kraft was sitting next to me, and he goes, Brother Arnold, you need to just stay on the ground here. I said, I need to get up. He said, well, I need to lay down then if you're getting up. Well, I got up. I stuck my bare feet in my shoes. I grabbed the microphone, and I said, I told you God was going to show himself strong. I told you God was going to manifest himself. Well, when I said that, the power of God hit that auditorium, and they went ballistic. And up in the balcony, they were whacked out, man. They were carrying on. Well, they had called the EMT emergency people. They they escorted me out of the service into Brother Carney's office. Well, they took my blood pressure. It was normal. They took my blood. I was normal. They wanted to check me into a hospital. I had to sign an affidavit. I said, I ain't got no hospital in Mississippi. That's crazy. I ain't going to do that. I'll go home. Well, I took a hot shower, and I went out to eat with everybody. I didn't know what had happened. So the guy who's driving me says, Brother Arnold, do you know what happened? I said, well, yeah, I got kind of lightheaded and uh, got spit in my mouth, was driving on. I said, I don't know. He says, do you know how long you were out? And I said, 60 seconds minute and a half. He started laughing in the van. He said, Brother Arnold, you were unconscious for 15 minutes. I said, what? He said, that guy was pounding on your chest. He's an EMT guy because my chest felt like it was broke when I went home. He was pounding on my chest. I didn't know it. And he kept saying to the people, you better pray for this guy. He's dead. He's dead. You better pray for this guy. And he kept pounding on my chest to try to get a heartbeat. He couldn't get a heartbeat and he couldn't get a pulse. And then all of a sudden, God said, that's enough. And he just woke me up. And I sat up. And I had nothing that came out of that. I went home to cardiologists. I did all the tests that Brother Kraft told me to do. Blood pressure, 120 over 80. Blood 63. Pulse, I'm fine. But I found out later that they had over 150 verifiable miracles that took place in the next 45 minutes in that building. Deaf people's ears popped open. This is what Brother Carney told me and other guys told me. He said there were people that came up to Brother Carney that had a big tumor on his chest, and he opened up his shirt. He goes, look, tumor was gone. Nobody prayed for these people. Nobody. It was like the presence of God just went, I don't need you. I can throw my weight around real easy. Watch. And he just went through the, the thing, and all these people got healed. And Brother Carney, you can call him, he told me personally. He was on his way to Hattiesburg. He had a growth on his chest that was cancerous, and he was going up for surgery to have it done. And when he got dressed that Monday to go on, and he called me. He said, it's gone. It's completely gone. It was just like God said, what, are you kidding me? 
I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I, I don't change. I can, I can do anything I want to do, anytime I want to do it. And so miracles went all across the whole movement. And I got calls for probably two or three weeks after that from friends of mine that were evangelists and pastors that said, you can't believe the things that have happened here. It's like we broke through into a realm that I think is where God wants to take us again that we function and live in that realm. But we've become, to me, more religious than we are spiritual. And that's, a, that's why I said when I talked to you about me going at that Bible school and challenged those people, I just, I'm saying it right now on, the, on this news. Why don't we have Bible schools teaching the supernatural? Why? Why are we having people teaching people how to pray for the sick and cast out devils? Because to me... The credentials that Jesus had was the miraculous. It wasn't Bible doctrine, and we need doctrine because doctrine delivers. But, but he offers what, remember what I said today when I was talking to the crew at the church? Preach the gospel of the kingdom. What is the gospel of the kingdom? He didn't say preach the new birth. He said preach the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of what the kingdom is like. And they went and laid hands on the sick. They cast out devils. They came. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. He came to show us what the kingdom of God is like. And everywhere he went, he healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cast out devils. Fine. Then he said, the works that I do shall you do, John 14, and greater works than these. Let alone doing greater works. We ain't even doing the works he did. And it's why. Well, uh, I prayed for someone and they died. So what? I always tell people, you didn't make him any sicker, did you? And you prayed for someone and he didn't get healed. You didn't make him any sicker. I said, don't you get it? Jesus came to declare war on the power of Satan's kingdom. Yeah, That's what he did. And I said, now he's never changed. So he's ascended on high. He's king of kings and lord of lords. He's still at war with disease and sickness and devils and demons. He's still at war with it. And we're supposed to be his army, his ambassadors, his representatives. Well, why aren't we doing what the early church did? Remember, the early church did that without the Holy Ghost. You read Mark 3. He said he laid his hands on them and gave them authority and power to cast out devils, heal the sick, and raise the dead. Free to receive, free to give. Okay? Well, now he's given us the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's his very spirit. That's his essence. Why aren't we doing this? I think because we have not taught against it. We just haven't taught it. We use it as a story. Oh, yeah, he's a healer. He's a miracle worker. Well, I've had nincompoops that I've talked to over the years. Well, have you believed that, Brother Arnold? Why don't you go to the hospital and empty out the hospital? I said, you know, you're, you're stupid. You're dumber than you look. Let me help <laughs> you with this. You know what the hospital was in Jesus' day? John 5, the pool of Bethesda. That was the hospital. Had all kinds of people infirmed and diseased. Guess what? He healed one man. He left the rest of them go. Why? I do always those things which please my Father. The Spirit of God that's in me, my Father that dwelleth in me, he does the works. So now you're asking another one? Here's what we got. We need to ask God to develop in us a greater sensitivity to his voice and to his touch 
Because Jesus, I do only those things which the Father tells me to do. Well, how are you and I going to do what I'm supposed to do if we don't hear his voice? Right. We've got to hear his voice. And that's why I wrote that last book. I've got it all over the place. I, I sent that book to every home missionary and every foreign missionary in the world on their computers, on their, on their, their technology stuff. I gave it to them for free, hearing the voice of God. I taught that for 12 weeks at our church. It's the greatest need in the Pentecostal movement. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, and another will they not follow. I'm wondering if we're hearing his voice. Mm. And there's nothing spooky about that. And, and I try to teach in that book, hearing the voice of God doesn't mean Jesus says, hey, Bill. He doesn't usually do that. He whispers or he gives an impression or you get a feeling, or you get a nudge. I, w I was walking down Atlanta, my second home. I'm walking down the concourse, and I'm just walking. I'm pulling my, my roll-on in my head, in my head, just a still voice. Jeffrey, look at the picture. So I'm you know, thinking, look at the picture? What picture? So I turn over, and I see this big picture on the wall, and it's Tiger Wood putting the 18th green for like $50,000, okay? And I, so I dismiss it. I said, oh, I must have had too much pizza or something, you know. I said, first place, I don't play golf. I'm not against it. I just don't play it. So, you know, that, that wasn't me. I must have went about six more steps, and that impression in that voice got louder. I said, look at the picture. So I stopped in the middle of the concourse. People walking around me. I said, what in the world? So I rolled back to the, to the thing, and I helped the Lord. Okay, I helped him. Uh, Lord, you probably don't understand this. I don't play golf. So I ain't got nothing to do with this golf. The Lord, the third time, got very strong. He said, I said, read the picture. Well, the picture is Tiger Wood, his caddy, all the people are on the 18th green, but they're all holding umbrellas because it's pouring down rain. And this caddy's got the, the umbrella over him putting for $50,000. And I look down and I read the picture and it says, Winners never wait for ideal conditions. They play the hand that's been dealt them. But it made my hair stand up in the air and I went... You know, Lord, you're really smart. Thank you very much. You're real. And so I, all the time, my whole life is that it's not spooky. It's not dumb. You have to learn how God talks to you. I, if I would be honest, right, and I am always honest. That's why I get in trouble. I'm always honest. I'd say 75% of the people in our churches don't know the voice of God. They don't hear the voice of God. They want to. But they're not challenged to. They don't stretch. You got to stretch into the supernatural. It's a it's a realm that's beyond your five senses, and you got to reach for it. And we're not accustomed to it because five senses keep us moving in the material world. That's the next sense that takes us into the spirit world, and you have to learn. And I'll tell you something else. As far as I know, even when you stretch and you feel God's told you or showed you something and you missed it, and you made a mistake, 
You'll never have God yell at you, curse you, damn you, or condemn you. He would rather have you make a mistake trying than sit on your backside and do nothing. So I'm trying. Because sometimes when you do it, I've done it, and it wasn't him, I'm learning. That's not how God talked to me. Okay? So you you said it. We didn't. You get in trouble sometimes by being so honest. <laughs> not sometimes. I'm sorry. All, All the, the time. time. <laughs> Thank you. So... I heard a, uh, I didn't hear it, I read a, um, a little quote the other day, and it's really stuck with me. It said that apostolic is not a religion, it's an experience. Yep. And so many times now, uh, this generation we're living in is uh, we have to be dignified, our tie suit has to be right. just right, and our tie has to be tight, and everything has to be just right. Well, what's the importance to you? of always speaking the truth, and no matter how crazy it may seem. Well, it's because, Rev, I was a liar. I was a whoremonger. I was a drunk. I mean, I was a, I was a criminal. I should have spent 20 years in jail. Okay, God just spared my life. And when I came in this, with all the filth and all the nastiness and all the jump, junk, when God forgave me at the altar and washed me clean and I got baptized in Jesus' name, it was like another world moved into my life and another being who rules the universe says, I'm going to use you and I'm going to live my, my desires and my purpose out of you. Would you let me use you? Yes, sir. Okay. And I'm going to take you where you weren't planning and I'm going to expose you to things. And when I preached that message at Because of the Times, I never forgot it. It was one of the greatest messages I ever preached in my life. Refuge from despair, okay? In that message, the Lord gave, I was in the motel, okay, by myself. I'm having my cup of tea. I got my bathrobe on. I'm reading my Bible. Added a clear blue. I'm not praying. I'm not in some spiritual mode. I'm not listening to a tape. I'm just reading. The presence of God just blew in just like that. My hair stood up. I had goosebumps up and down my arm, and I recognized it was the presence of the Lord. And I stopped drinking my tea, and I threw my hands up, and I started worshiping God. And it got stronger and got stronger. Well, I ended up walking around in the, in the room, and it got so strong, I didn't do anything. I didn't produce that. God just did it. I fell over on the bed and started sobbing and weeping. And I cried so hard, my eyes got swollen, my nose was stopped up, I couldn't even breathe. And I just, I couldn't understand, what is God doing? God's doing something to me. Well, when I walked over in the corner, it's as real to me as looking at you right now. I walked in the corner. I had my hands raised. I said, God, what are you telling me? What are you, <coughs> what are you, <coughs> what are you wanting to show me? He said to me, now, you can believe me or not. It doesn't matter. He said to me, I am giving you a message on my grace because my people need my grace and they don't understand it. And so I'm just, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I still don't know where I'm going. And then he says to me, now, if you are willing to preach this message, you will suffer greatly from the hands of your brethren. But if you preach it, I will release ten thousands of my people who are held hostage by guilt and shame and fear. 
And now while he said that to me, you can believe me if you want to, I didn't see it. I just sensed it. It was like a cloud above my head. It filled the whole motel room. It was so real. And when he finished saying that, it was like the cloud went and just went right through the ceiling. And it was gone. And I, I stepped back and blinked my eyes and I said, I feel like Paul. Was I in the body or was I out of the body? What, what just happened to me? Something happened to me. Well, I walked over to the, my Bible, and the Lord had it right there where I was reading. First John, he said, If our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. And I said, Lord, I'm not smart enough to understand this. What does this mean? He said, Son, let me help you. Tell my people, the heart is just a lie detector. All it can do is say, right, wrong, right, wrong, good, bad. I said, okay. He said, but I'm greater than your heart. Your heart cannot weigh motives. I weigh motives. You people respond to actions. I know whether you meant to do that. He said, remember, Judas and Peter both betrayed me. The difference was Judas, Judas intended to, and he died lost. Simon Peter did not intend to deny me. He was overcome with fear. And so in that moment, boom, he lied. You get me? And so the Lord turned around and he said, my people need to be delivered from this. They need my grace. And so I preached that message, refuge from despair. Now, I got the living blankety-blank knocked out of me all over the movement. I got canceled by 12 districts across this whole movement. I was preaching camp meetings and conferences. They called me one after another. I was a heretic. I was lost. I, I was a liar. I misinterpreted this. And, and I mean, I couldn't believe it. I'd never been fired in my whole life. Never. And here I am just dumped like I'm a piece of waste, boom, for preaching on the grace of God. And I'm going, what in the world? I started crying. I was at the house. I said, I don't believe this, Patty. I, I just got dumped by 12 districts over a message on the grace of God. And she turned around and she said to me, my wife is very introverted. She don't talk much. But she looked at me. She said, Jeffrey, that's a fulfillment of God's promise. I said, what? He said, didn't you tell me the Lord said, if you have the courage to preach this message, you will greatly suffer? And it was like my eyes popped open. He said, yeah, you're right. He said, these people don't hate you. They just don't understand. And it was I was devastated by it. In fact, one of the leaders of the Pentecostal movement happened to be in Anthony Mangan's house. I'm, I'm not lying. I could call him on the phone. And he'll tell you I'm telling the truth. He was sitting there. And when I walked by him, I didn't know him. He looked at me and said, Brother Arnold, that is undoubtedly one of the greatest messages I've ever heard in my life about the grace of God. Well, I was elated. I shook his hand. I said, well, thank you. And then he held my hand and he said, and let me tell you something else. You are going to suffer grace greatly for what you just did. And I looked at him stunned. I said, what? He said, I know the people that you preach to, and I know the mental outlook of people that are going to buy this tape. 
they are going to misread what you said. And so it just happened. You know, it's kind of like, okay. And and I still think it's a great message about the grace of God. Absolutely, it is. And and that goes into, again, that value that you heard the voice of God, which it was very apparent. I mean, God thundered it that message to you. Right. Do you think that uh, a lot of the times the reason why we can't hear God's voice is because we're so distracted? No, no doubt about it. Now, I don't want to be misconstrued and mm-hmm. mis quoted like I usually am. I am not against the internet. I think it's a phenomenal invention. It can bring all kinds of information and stuff to us. I just feel that the internet is an extremely dangerous thing that has the ability to deceive us. And I'll say this, because I fly for a living. I just was on the plane coming here. When I got up on the plane, believe me or not, we were lined up waiting to get out. I guarantee you, Eight out of ten people were on their phone. Like, oh, I'm so important. I'm talking to the United Nations right now. I can't get by this day without knowing what's going on. And I'm and I'm sitting there feeling like a dummy. Like I'm not a part of this generation. And I'm going, what are so doggone important on the phone that you got to be on your phone? And then when I walked in the airport, there must have been 30 people in a row sitting there playing on their phone. And I'm going... You don't even talk to the people sitting next to you. You don't even talk to your kids or your family. You're on this stupid phone. What is on this phone that's so important to you? Because I, you know, I just I'm not a slave to this stupid stuff. But I see people. I was in Denver the other day. I almost got punched in the mouth. I was laid over. I preached a camp. I was laid over for three hours, and I had there three hours trying to drink iced tea. Well, there was a little nut restaurant area. Here was three or four look looked like college girls. Every one of them were at the table playing on the phone. Not a one of them is talking to the other person. They're talking to some moron in Iowa, some idiot in Istanbul. They're not talking to the person sitting next to them. So I walk by him, and I see this husband sitting here, and his wife is across He's on the phone. She's on the phone. The two kids have got their little iPad, and they're playing cartoons. Fine. I look at them because I'm stupid, and I, you know, I, I need therapy. I just lean over to the guy, and I said, man, this is fantastic, sir. And he looks up at me and says, what? I said, quality family time. I thought the guy was going to punch me in the mouth. He got so mad. I said, you know what? You're taking stupid to a new level. You're sitting at a table with your family, and your family don't mean squat to you. Some jerk means more to you than your family. You got to be on the phone finding out, oh, I got a text message. I got, what did we do for a few thousand years without that piece of junk? How did, I mean, I, I bump into people in the airport just when I came here. This lady just bashed into me. She's walking, doing her phone. I said, pardon me, stupid, am I in your way? And it's like, what in the world? And she just goes, um. and I'm going, that to me has become a trap. Now, you say what you want to. I'm not a prophecy teacher, but I am totally convinced. The invention of the Internet and the cell phone and the iPad is the absolute equipment that Satan is going to be able to use with the Antichrist to take the world over. Because we are going into a total society of technology. Yeah. I just went to pay a bill at a doctor's office. 
Okay, I went there to pick up some stuff. She wouldn't let me pay. I said, what's the matter? She goes, we don't accept cash. I said, you don't accept cash? I reached in my pocket and I pulled the money out. I said, you see this? That is backed by the Federal Reserve of America. This is acceptable currency. Not in this office. We don't accept cash. Checks or credit cards? I said, well, I didn't bring a check, and I ain't giving you my credit card, so I guess I'll go home. She said, well, you got to pay. I said, send me a bill. I said, I've been an American 75 years. I'm going to save my money, and I'm going to move to America because the nation I'm living in now ain't the one I was raised in. I never heard of anything. I can't buy something with cash. I leave there. I'm in Atlanta, $3.50 for a bottle of Fiji water. I stopped at this little place because I'm laid over. I said, give me some water. He said, oh, I'm sorry. We don't accept cash. I went, what? What do you mean? He says, no. The government doesn't want you to use cash because they can't trace it. Yeah. And they want to have total control over everybody. Hmm. And, you know, I'm just, so I went into the store and I just cashed a check. I had a $100 bill with me. My wife was with me. We bought a bunch of stuff at Walmart. It was like $75, $80. So I give the lady the $100 bill. You would think I was a child molester. You would think I was from ISIS. She looks at me and she goes, one moment, please. And she leaves. Now, all these people are standing behind me in line. I want to get out of that stupid store. She gets a hold of the manager, and I look through the door, and it's like they're doing it in a bank. Watch that sucker right there. So finally, the manager comes over, and he said, Sir, did you give this dollar, this bill to this lady? I said, Yes. And I said, I'd like to get out of your dumb store. And he looks at me and says, Would you mind telling me where you got that bill from? I said, Yes. My pocket. <laughs> so he looks, and he goes, I mean, where did you get it before your pocket? I said, let me help you with this, Flash. There's a bank right down here on the corner called Sun Bank. They give these out by the tens of thousands. It's called American currency. <laughs> I went there. If you go down there, they'll get you a $100 bill or a $50 bill. I said, let me ask you something, sir. Is that bill counterfeit? No. I said, well, cut the crap then. And give me my change and let me out of your stupid store. This is ignorant. And it's like you go places and they don't want to use a $50 bill, a $100 bill. And the banker told me, they, it's all about terrorist money and it's all by the money. I said, you mean like Obama? Obama gave those Islamic people $85 billion the week before he left in cash. And that money bought the missiles that attacked America last week. Uh. Yeah. See, the reason why I was going to ask that, which I think you, you already kind of answered it. I was going to ask because you you've been on record as being the guy who who did, you've got a flip phone still. I, I got saw one that. right in my pocket. Yeah, it's, right. it's a flip phone, and so t it was one of the first things Tony noticed because it, it's it's an older cell phone. You don't have a laptop. <laughs> I, uh, you really don't have a lot of technology in the home. I don't. And I was going to ask, do you ever look back on the way you've chosen? To, to not have these things, and have you ever regretted the way you chose to live? Which I think I think the way you've answered is, I, I would assume, I'll, I'll let you answer it. I, I I, well, no, you're, uh, I, I think that the technology, the internet, the 
I always call it the Antichrist system, the toy system. Fine. It can give you a lot of great stuff. I have guys in church, they have their phone talks to them when we drive, that GPS thing. I think it's phenomenal. It's, it's amazing. But, but my daughter is a technology whiz, works for the University of Florida. She knows everything except the name of the Antichrist, but she knows everything. My sweet secretary, Gail, is a technological whiz. Okay, they know how to do all this junk. I don't know how to do it. I don't want to learn how to do it. Okay, I'm a nincompoop. I don't want to learn. But all I got to do is pick up the phone and say, Gail, could you check on such and such for me? My De Dina Leanne, my daughter. Dina, your dad needs a little help in looking up something on the Internet for me. Could you find something for me? So they know how to do it. So they are my reference point. Like me, I'm going to buy the Encyclopedia Botanica, but now I'm going to memorize the whole thing so I don't have to refer to it. No, I got the book to refer to it. I don't care. Here, here's, here's my situation. Doesn't mean I'm right. This is me. Years ago, I used to be in sales. Years ago, I had all kinds of books and things. This guy gave me a book on wisdom and ancient wisdom and philosophy. I'm not a philosopher. I don't do that junk. But in the front page of that book, there was a statement that changed my life forever. Here's what it said. Who is the wise man? Pray I tell. He said the wise man is but two things. The wise man knows he knows nothing. And secondly, chooses to remain ignorant about things not worth knowing. So why do I give a flip that they found Jimmy Hoffa in a car wash in Idaho? Why do I care that they found Elvis dancing somewhere in Arizona? Or the sex life of a praying mantis? Or what kind of crazy junk is this? Why do I want to care about that? I've only got so many sands of grain in my hourglass, and so I just choose. Now, the, my friends... They all think I'm a moron. They think I'm crazy. I mean, I'm still waiting for A-Tracks to come back. Fine. I don't think they're going to come back. Fine. I just found out the Titanic sunk the other day. Fine. It's okay. <laughs> I said, fine. It's like, okay, I just don't care. It bothers me in the church I pastored for years that the minute the amen is over and Brother Tony's preached a great message, gave a great altar call, them poor slobs, excuse me, saints, are just walking out the door, and before they're out, they're on their phone. What kind of junk is that? I look at people in the audience. I'm teaching. I'm preaching. Now, you talk about hypocrites. Not supposed to have your phone on. I'm looking at them. They've got their phone in their lap, and I can see the light on their face. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. What is so important that you've got to be in contact with these people? Are you the president of a corporation? Are you the president of a nation somewhere? What is your problem? And so, you know, maybe my concept is wrong. I mean, all my friends have all that antichrist junk, and I just don't have it. I go, I don't care about it. <laughs> that, that, that I, need, a, I need therapy. <laughs> I, I respect your, your decisions in that because I, I, I certainly feel like uh, we, we are very distracted as a culture. And not only that, but it's a time waster. Yeah. It is. I mean, my wife came to me the other day and she said, um, I want to 
stop prioritizing our phones and start prioritizing our daughter Amen. and but, what's really important because I don't want my daughter to grow up thinking that I'm married to my phone and not my wife. Exactly. That's good. Yeah, I mean, that, I just look at the same thing. I go, now, I, now, to answer the rest of your question, I know that innate in me, I have certain weaknesses, okay? I have a propensity. I was raised on cowboy stories. I like the Lone Ranger. I like Roy Rogers. I like Tonto. I, you know, I like the Hopalong Cassidy. I like war stories. I was raised on television. I came in Pentecost. You guys were against television. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Said all the saints got TVs, and half the preachers probably have them too. Fine. That's not the issue. I enjoy certain things of entertainment. I know in myself, if I got myself a computer, I would be on there. I like magic tricks. I like Siegfried and Roy. I like watching all that stuff. So I know in myself, I would waste my time watching that. Or uh, the one that's um, the, fam- the world-famous thing where they sell all these classic cars and they have that auction. Because I like to go to car shows and stuff. So. Yeah, so I would I would just get on it and just watch it, watch it, watch it. And so my my thing I say to people sometimes, and I'm not trying to be rude, I come across rude. I don't mean to be rude. Okay. Take the amount of time you've played on your computer and on your phone and give that back to God in study and prayer. Now when I say that, you would think I just raped their daughter or something because they look at me like, how dare you say that to me? And I'm going, well, it's a priority. In other words, you'd much rather be on your phone than be on your knees. You'd much rather be talking mm-hmm. than be in the Word. Now, I have people, they did it last night and they did it today. People take pictures of my Bible. They think it's funny. They say, look at his Bible. My Bible is adhesive tape got paper clips and i got notes all over the thing i was in atlanta the other day and i'm sitting there my second home three hours waiting to catch my plane and i could feel somebody on the left side of me looking at me i'm in this restaurant reading my bible drinking iced tea and i turn around look at this lady and the lady says sir excuse me is that a bible that you're reading i said yes ma'am i am she said I have never seen a Bible like that. I said, what do you mean? She said, your Bible is falling apart. And I smiled and I said, did you notice that I'm not? And she said, wow, I like that. And she brought her husband over and just thumbed through my Bible with notes and things and everything. She said, this is fantastic. I said, you know, ma'am, God didn't give us the Bible for us to own it. We were supposed to read it. It's a letter from another world. It's going to help us direct our lives. It gives principles and precepts and stories and situations to help. Like you said at lunch today, when you open a book, it's not supposed to sound like Velcro. Shh. Yeah, yeah. These guys go, shh, shh. It's crazy. Uh, uh, I, I actually, I kind of want to picture your Bible too. I'm just I do saying. too. <laughs> um, 
uh, to, to as we're we're kind of uh, we want you to be able to enjoy the rest of your evening. So we'll we'll, we'll be moving towards the <laughs> moving towards the clo- closing here. But I, I want to get um, to ask who the real Jeff Arnold is uh, because and the re- one of the question I, I want to see your input on is um, I heard you preach one time about how uh, you don't really have friends. That's right, and I that. Don't. And and now uh, a lot of the friends you've had have, have probably gone on to be with the Lord. I think you made mention of an individual. You said that uh, I can't. I'm not sure if you said the man who called you had had passed away. One of the people we T. talked T. W. about. T. W. Barnes. Oh yes, he has. But there was and brother Tenny. Yeah, well, obviously many many pioneers that you've been equating with have passed on, and and so from my perspective, is I I look at Jeff Arnold and I'm like. How in the world can Jeff Arnold say he doesn't have friends because he preaches at every conference? I know, but everybody wants to be around him, and so, so how is it that that you who have who has been ran in the circles with everybody who's preached for everybody that's anybody? Right? How can how can you feel lonely inside? Real easy. To me, there's a difference between friends and associates friends and associates. So I have lots of people that know me, but don't know me. And they've been very kind and generous to me. And I go to these districts and everybody's always been generous to me. But when it comes to intimate friends, close friends, and I will use what my sweet friend, Brother Tommy Kraft, who saved my life for me when I lost my voice and I couldn't preach. And he took me under his wing. He turned to me one day in the sanctuary and he said to me, Jeff, look at me. He held his hand up and he said, when you get ready to die from this world, if you have that many good close friends in your life, consider yourself very blessed. Because I have thousands of people that know me and I know them, but we're not friends because a friend loves at all times. Now, I have a very good friend at our local church, Alex Martinez. He is been a dear friend to me. We're friends, okay? But, like, I don't have any people in the Florida district. They don't call me. They don't ever say, I've been praying for you. They don't ever say, hey, Arnie, the only thing I ever get a call for is, what are you preaching? Give me a sermon. And I do. Fine. But I don't have anybody, I don't have anybody to ever call me to say, how you doing, stupid? Are you dying? How's your wife? Did you get hit by a car? I don't have any of that kind of stuff. Nobody ever cares whether I live or die. They they got they got their lives. They're important. They got busy things to do. I learned years ago when I first got saved to be a loner. My mother had died. My father hated Pentecost. My other brother thought I was in a cult. My other brother died. So I had nobody. All the years that I was in Pentecost, no aunts, no uncles no grandmas or grandpas, nobody to encourage me, nobody. So I took it on heart to do what the Scripture said with David and Ziglag, and David encouraged himself in the Lord. So I've learned to do that. Now, it's not that I don't have people that like me. Yes, but no, nobody ever calls me to play golf. I've been pastor of that church 36 years. I've been retired two years. Nobody takes me and Sister Arnold out to eat after Sunday service. Nobody ever invites us to go out to eat with them. Does that answer the question? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just. I and one guy told me. Now one guy told me, 
You know, Brother Arnold, when you go to Because of the Times or you go to General Conference, I know 500 young preachers would almost give body parts to go out and just sit and eat with you. And I said, well, why don't they ask me? I, I eat by myself. He said, they're intimidated by you. Why intimidated? I, I didn't rape their wife. I didn't steal any money. What, what, why would they be intimidated? I'm just a preacher. He said, they are, because you've been, you've been allowed to preach all these different meetings or something. And I never saw myself like that. I put my pants on one leg at a time. I brush my teeth like you do. I comb my hair. Uh, I deal with things. I, I'm just a guy. You know, I don't know why God has somehow given me divine favor. You know what the scripture says? In the favor of the king, there is life. Yes. So all my life, I've been praying, God, give me divine favor. Give me divine. When I went to a general conference not too long ago, way out in a far away, we were in California. I went to that conference. I don't have any cronies to sit with. My wife doesn't like to travel. Air travel makes her sick. So I have to go by myself. Well, I go there and all my good friends, they got their wives and their friends. Well, when we get ready to go out of the service, nobody ever invited me to go eat with them. Well, they got their wives and their cronies and their buddies, you know, and I feel like a fifth wheel. So I would go to McDonald's and I'd pick up a hamburger and some fries and I'd go to the room and I'd eat by myself. And then the next morning I go in, I go to the restaurant there by the hotel, and I eat by myself. Nobody talks with me. I see people at tables, hey, Brother Arnold, hey, bro. hey, how are you, how are you? Fine, nice to see you, you know, and I eat by myself. When I got to the second day and I went home again, I came out and I saw all these people lined up to go to these restaurants. I'm not welcome. I'm not asked. I don't think it's intentional. I think it's just an honest oversight. They don't think that I don't have 4,000 people wanting to eat lunch with me. I think they just miss it. When I did the second night, I went back to the hotel. I called my sweet secretary, Gail. I said, Gail, get me a plane out of here in the morning. Brother Arnold's going to cost a lot, man, without 72-hour notice. I said, I don't care. I am, I am sick of this junk. I don't need to spend $3,500 to eat my lunch at I can go home and eat with my sweet wife. I don't need this. So I got on the plane, paid a full fortune, went back home. Haven't been to conference in years now. I'm going, fine, I don't need that. It's okay. I'm not bitter. I'm not I think sour. I'm going in the fall if you want to go eat with me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, like Brian said, I count it as an honor or privilege that you would spend some time with Brian and I oh, this afternoon. Yeah, um, I want to ask you one final question, and this is the big one for me. Okay. Um, if you could say anything to the generation from 21 to 40, after your long past, you're no longer with us anymore, right. after that bus you were talking about finally hits you, right? what would you hope that we knew? Reach for the supernatural. And I don't mean, when I say supernatural, I don't just mean gifts of the Spirit, okay, where, no, you need the supernatural in your life. You need to be able to hear his voice, sense his presence. You need to walk in the Spirit. You're, Paul says we are supposed to live in the Spirit. That doesn't mean you don't enjoy playing golf or going to a car show or having jokes and having fun. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's like, if I really believe 
that I'm going to get snatched out of here. And I have to give God an answer for my stewardship and what I've done with my money and what I've done with my time. I don't want to wake up on the other side of, in glory and the Lord turns around and says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. I, you thought you were saved, but you're not saved. I want, and I'm seeing that in our own church. Mm-hmm. Our kids know more about cell phone and internet and iPhones and iPads than they know about the Word of God. It's like, what in the world's going on with you? And their prayer life, you could put that into a thimble and still have room for something else in there. And it's like, some of them, that their prayer life leaves much to be desired. And I'm just looking at this going, you know what? I don't want to be like that. I'm old now. I'm leaving the generation. I'm getting out of here. If God snatches me out of here, I'm gone. But it's like, God, please, don't let this. I'm concerned that our movement as a whole, I could be wrong, our movement as a whole is steadily and gradually lowering its level of spirituality so that nobody gets offended but God. He gets offended, but we don't care about him being offended. It's our church. It's our program. It's it's what I read 25 years ago with A.W. Tozer. You ever read him? You need to read some of his books, Pursuit of God. Tremendous. He said, we have, this was, he wrote this in the 50s. We have raised the, just got that book this week. We have raised a generation that can have church without God. We, we have enough money in the bank. We have things taken care of. And we have lost our pioneer spirit. We are no longer adventuring. We are maintaining what we have attained. Bad play. Bad play. That early church, they didn't have any 401ks. They didn't have any CDs. They didn't have any multiple investments. But they did have Jesus. And he did turn the world upside down. You know, and it's kind of like, I think we're, we're, sometimes we're, and I'm saying we are too married to where we are so that we have business as usual. Let me say this in closing for the last time. Remember this. The problem with being mediocre is that mediocre people are always at their best. And one last statement. Great spirits have always suffered at the hands of mediocre people. People who want to stretch People who want to. What are you trying to do? I've had people say it to me face. Arnold, what are you trying to do? Be spiritual. I said, yeah, sucker. What are you trying to do? Be carnal? Yeah, I'm trying to be spiritual. I want to be in tune with the other world. You say that world is real. How come that world doesn't know you? Remember when they said that? When they cast the devils out of that, the seven sons of Sceva tried to do that. And that spirit said, that's been amazing. That spirit said, Jesus, I know, that singular possessive, present. Paul, I know, singular possessive, present. But who are you? So this doesn't work by proxy. You can't get by with your mom and dad's commitment to God. You can't buy with, with your forefathers saying they walk with God. Let me ask you a question. 
Let me ask you. You've asked all the questions to me. Let me ask you a question. Are you walking with God? Or are you just walking with somebody who's walking with God? Remember, Abraham walked with God, but Lot walked with Abraham. And he was spiritual as a dead frog. Okay? Elijah walked with God. Gehazi walked with Elijah. He's the one that stole the money and ended up getting leprosy. Paul walked with God. Demas walked with Paul. And you ain't going to make it doing everything by proxy. you got to have your own walk with God. However it is, you've got to learn his voice and learn... Why would you not want to please God? I have a sermon that I preach sometimes. Are you pleasing God? Because only pleasing God leads to a translation. Remember the Bible said, Enoch pleased God and he was not, for God took him. But before his translation, he had this testimony, he pleased God. So are you pleasing God? Are you pleasing yourself? You're pleasing the organization? You're pleasing the pastor? You're pleasing your neighbors? Fine. And until you get serious about, I want to please God. I've asked God all my life, I do not want to be a liability. I want to be an asset. I don't want to bring you grief. I want to bring you gladness. I don't want to bring you sorrow. I want to bring you delight. So, as, as they said in the Bible, David said, These be the last words of David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. So it is the last words of Jeffrey Wayne Arnold. Thank you. Oh, Brother Arnold, thank you so much for taking the time again. And all I know to say now is, once again, this has been The Crucial Conversation. Break it down. Hey guys, this is Brian, and I'm Tony, and you're listening to the Crucial Conversation Podcast.